0: Hello and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories
1: yo my peoples what's up welcome back to shelf stories and also welcome to the one-stop co-op shop podcast i am your host jason thank you so, so much for stopping by we have a full house today this has been a couple of months in the making so if you listen to my content you'll know that i am the cultural consulting field and i'm doing you know work on colonization and all these difficult topics right difficult games and actually, uh, we've talked about it. I have my friend Liz Davis here on the podcast. I'll introduce her in just a second. Uh, but we had a podcast about difficult topics in games. And guess what concept comes up every single time we talk about this stuff? Nazis. So you know what? I figured I would convene a panel of gaming experts to talk about this fixation, this fascination that gamers have with Nazis, Nazism, uh, Nazi soldiers, Nazi military, all that stuff. We're gonna tr- we're gonna try to cover the whole gamut today. We're gonna try to do so in a way that gets uh, my friend David Thompson on his plane on time. <laughs> I'm throwing out these names. Let me go ahead and introduce them ex- uh, individually. First of all, I'm going to introduce my partner in crime, Liz Davidson. She is from the Beyond Solitaire podcast. What well, say hello to the peoples?
2: Hey, I'm Liz. I'm happy to be here. As always, we always have a good time.
1: But always have a good time all right uh for the first time ever uh, and we've talked we've been talking for a couple of years now uh but this is the first time that they've, that uh this person has ever appeared on shelf stories uh they are a game designer uh they have designed some of your favorites especially the Undead series which is now hitting five. Installments, uh, the I believe, uh, Stalingrad, no, not Stalingrad, um, something about air airships <laughs> in Britain, uh, is hitting the shelves pretty soon. Uh, so you could tell us all about that in a little bit, but I'm going to introduce designer David Thompson. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, glad to be here.
1: All right. And a new person, the person I'm meeting for the first time, we've interacted uh, via DMs. I was given this reference by David. I'm not a war game person, so I had to, you know, ask David, and this is the first person that they mentioned. It was like that. This is the person that we want to talk to. Uh, So has an excellent YouTube channel, the Ardwolf channel, Ardwolf's Lair channel. So uh, has been running for a little while and I've learned a lot just, you know, as a war game noob, scanning the videos and, you know, learning about uh, topics uh, in this realm and elsewhere. He is Gary Mangle. Welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, thanks for having me. You said you had a panel of experts. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just a bozo with a YouTube channel, pretty much.
1: I see your 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 thing back there. You got games. You got books. You have not. I'm assuming like osmosis, all that stuff back there has seeped into your brain somehow. So (laughs) that's basically
3: accurate. See, you you just.
1: You just make a YouTube channel and then
2: you're automatically an expert. Isn't that how it works?
3: Right. And a, <laughs> and a celebrity too. Absolutely. Of course. And an
1: influencer, if you wish. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> the, the talking head effect. We got the talking head effect going on. So it's like we have that much of a leg up on the peoples. No, we don't. We're just uh, people who uh, like to turn on cameras and talk. And we're gamers like everybody else. Meet us at cons. Meet us at, you know, different places. We're just, you know, gamers just like everybody else. At least that's what we uh, try to put out. Anyway. Uh, okay. So we are this is topic du jour. And I I thank you so much for for coming on. This has been, I mean, I'm just going to be real because I just got in from outside with my kids and everything. And I'm like, "Uh, uh," so I got no room for filter. I don't get it. (laughs) I don't get why every single time we we have these conversations, I I think it's like an internet law. Like, I mean, however many forum posts, someone's going to mention Nazis. Ah. It's it 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 bugs my mind. Okay, so I want to proceed in this conversation in steps. So it is true. Just looking at the sales, just looking at the way gaming has played out, not just Nazis but World War II, is the most popular uh, subject, especially when it comes to conflict games. Even in non-conflict games, like you know, people like the, the being in that place. So let's just start there. Like, talk a little bit about. I'll go to David first because you've made a lot of games about world war two and i know you have a thing though that's like your back right so just on a general level introduce the peoples to why world war two is a popular subject for gaming uh well, well see there's two parts to this. there's why
0: i kind of live there and there's why it's popular more broadly and those are maybe two different things right i think there's um, overlap just, though
1: i think there's some- there, there
0: is overlap yeah so i'll talk about from my perspective um I live there because a lot of the games that I do, uh, pretty much all the games that I do that are set in World War II are very what we call tactical or even skirmish level, meaning like a counter represents one person or maybe a group of people at the most. And because I am interested in evoking the history, um, having something that's recent enough where I can get that level of historical detail, right, is it needs to be a more recent, you know, conflict. Um, but at the same time, I, my day job I work with the Department of Defense, and I'm not super comfortable working in modern conflict. And so, World War II just happens to fit neatly in this this area where it's recent enough that I can get a ton of super um, extremely detailed you know background history, but it's not so recent that I I, I feel uncomfortable working it. So that's me personally. Um, I think more broadly, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it, World War II is recent enough that it resonates with a lot of people still um, it was a worldwide conflict, right? So people can see, um, how it touched them or generations before them. And, um, and I mean, it's perceived as a conflict of black and white. Now we know that it's, there's shades of gray, but I will say of many of the conflicts that we can talk about across the world's history, yes, there are shades of gray in World War II, but there are, the, the shades are very light and very dark compared to many other conflicts that have occurred, right? So, Um, I I think that's a big part
1: of it. As bad as America has, as bad as Britain was, as bad as the French were, they weren't throwing 10 million people into gas chambers. And so like that just stands out as, you know, this is the dark side, this is is the light side and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Gary, do you have any, we started to talk about that in DMs. So you have anything to add in terms of the uh, overall gamer fascination, war game fascination with World War II?
3: Well, I I agree with everything that David said, obviously, but I mean, part of, you know, why, why are there so many games with Nazis is just because that's the way it is. If World War II is going to be a popular topic, right? They're the bad guys. And there are reasons why we don't see as many games with the two sides being the allies versus the Japanese that I think are Mm. uh, design reasons, because it's a harder that that end of the world is a harder conflict to simulate because it's not a land war, right? We've been, we've been simulating land war algorithmically since the days of, of Von Reiswitz. So uh, simulating naval stuff, especially at kind of the macro level where you're covering the entire conflict is, is a little more difficult, especially when you're dealing with non-professional war games. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, the, the Nazis were the bad guys in one of those, Theaters, So they're going to be the bad guys in a lot of those games. I, I've said previously, based on no evidentiary information whatsoever, that I, I think there's probably more World War II games released every in any given year than there is of every other conflict covered by war games combined. I think that's probably still true. It is a, a conflict that a, a lot of us know people that were in it. Right. Both of my grandfathers were in World War II, for example. One of them was on a ship. One of them was stationed in an extremely rear echelon post in what is now Pakistan, actually. Mm. Um, but uh, which was not it,
1: Pakistan before. That's another right, like, part of, subtle reason why World War II fascinates is because so much of the modern map came from. World mm-hmm. War II, like the destruction of colonies and, you know, the creation of new colonies and how the British map makers, you know, created conflict, ensured conflict for the you know 100 years. If you don't know about that, go ahead and Google that. Uh, you know, the fact that Pakistan is Pakistan, the fact that, you know, Kashmir, you know, in that part of the world and, uh, you know, just so much of the modern world Israel, <laughs> you know, was created as a result as of World War II. So much of the modern world is explained by world war Two, so that's kind of uh throw that in there too sorry to
3: yeah, i mean I, I was always you know I, I was given a clue by my grandfather when we, we used to talk about this which we didn't a lot but but he always said i was in india and you know it was india at the time right so uh so my other grandfather was uh, a pharmacist's mate on a destroyer, which did see some action in the Mediterranean, American destroyer, uh, which did see some action in the Mediterranean. So, so, I mean, we, I mean, I had neighbors that were, were, were two veterans, right? And, and there's not that many of them left now, but a lot of us grew, I'm older than I look. So a lot of us grew up with people that were in the conflict, right? So, uh, and for, from a designer standpoint, as David mentioned, it's very easy to find research materials, right? comparatively speaking, right? If you want, like, you want to do an operational game on Alexander the Great, eh, there's not really a, <laughs> a lot of great sources about the the logistic the, about Alex's baggage train, for example, where you could find you know whole series of volumes on the logistics uh, challenges in World War II. So there's a lot more material to draw on because it's relatively recent and it's still uh, such a big cultural touchstone. There's still a lot being written about
1: it right uh so you're not necessarily a world war ii person liz uh because i know you're asian roman you 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 said alexander the great and liz like (laughs) (laughs) uh so i mean so talk a little bit about from your perspective as someone who is a war gamer but maybe doesn't have the same emotional resonance as others others would what how are you observing how world war ii in particular plays out in that end of the hobby
2: yeah i think there's a lot of things at play so i also do have you know people in my family who fought in World War II, and, you know, it's definitely something that I think is a source of family pride for a lot of people. Um, We really value our veterans, especially in our families. But I also think that there are also sort of pop culture elements at work here. Um, You know, I grew up watching Indiana Jones, and, you know, the Mm -hmm. Nazis are made into stylish yet evil people, right? And, you know, Indy has that little thing with Elsa. And, uh, you know, I watched all of L-O-L-O when I was younger, and, you know, Hair Flick is a Nazi, but he's played for laughs. And I feel like we, in the course of dealing with, and, you know, the other thing is that, you know, our relationship with Germany is now good again. Like Germany is a currently an awesome place to go. And, um, you know, I had to learn to read German for my, one of my grad school exams and, you know, like our, our I feel like because relationships with Europe are the way they are now, it's easier to kind of feel like the Nazis are kind of a a random offshoot or something Mm. that we can just kind of brush over. Although Germany itself has not done that. Let us know. Germany has done a very good job reckoning with their, with their past. Um, But I think that part of our way of dealing with the fact that Nazis happened um, shows up in our movies. It shows up in, you know, our pop culture. I think a lot of people who are edgy like to kind of edge towards that. Mm. Um and so, you know, when you bring Nazis into something, you're not just talking about a historical moment, the, the resonances of who they were and how people like to call up their symbolism now and how people process Um, you know, what happened and, you know, it's, it's the conflict we learn the most about in school. Like there's just a whole soup, I think, of things that make World War II different in terms of how we like to talk about it, look at it, simulate it.
1: So that's the World War II story, I think, uh, you know, playing on, you know, the, the good versus evil, right? We all have a good versus evil story, plays into our nationalist story, like America is the good guys. And this is a very America-centric conversation. Uh, I know I have European listeners who have who feel a lot differently. So maybe this is for them going, why do they care about Nazis so much? <laughs> uh, we do. As Americans, we do. And maybe there's some other aspects of the hobby as well. Be eager, very, very eager to hear from people's perspectives. Okay. So there's that part of it, the World War II good versus evil. But, like, I think you were starting to touch on it, Liz. Like, gamers like Nazis. We are very entertained by the idea of Nazis in our games, like we play them for laughs. Like, I mean, uh, there, there's culture media that, you know, they look a little bit silly, like Indiana Jones with the, I think there was like the, what was it, the Bible scene where Hitler signs the Bible or something? Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, haha, ha, funny. Uh, and, you know, we have the games, the Secret Hitler playing for laughs and, uh, you know, springtime for Hitler and all that, all that, uh, the, the producers and everything. So much of our American culture media plays the Nazis for laughs. Um, goes a little bit towards what David, the reason why I want to have David on the show talking about in terms of what the West, how the West tells the story of Nazis. You know, I, I, I use the word propaganda. Sometimes people have a difficult time with that, but like uh, I, I kind of want to you know, bring that word in there. So, David, tell us a little bit about what you've um, done research on in terms of how the West tells a story of Nazis.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think that the story has evolved quite a bit since, you know, post-World War II, right? This is all my perspective, obviously, and couch it. And one thing, Jason, we should say, because somebody's going to immediately comment when we say Nazis, right? What do we mean when we say Nazis? Because not all of the German soldiers that participated in World War II were Nazis, right? And um, many people take offense to to calling German soldiers broadly Nazis, right? Um, Now, what, what what you'll see is they'll a group of people will get very defensive and they'll start saying oh you know that's that's a small percentage and they'll they'll minimize and what shouldn't which also should not be done but we should just be, you know be clear that there was the Nazi Party of which many military elements were were part of right like holistically and then there are where it gets murkier with things like other parts of the Wehrmacht, which, you know, but they might be, they might not be, et cetera. So when we say Nazis, you know, we just have to be clear about what, what it is we're saying. But so
1: actually, uh, I'll, I'll uh, take a step back and ask that question instead, and I'll get back to the propaganda in a minute. Like, because uh, I remember uh, the game, uh, uh, I'm going to pronounce it terribly, U-boot or U- uh, U-boat is what I'm going to say. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, with that one, Gary. It's yep. a kind of a war Oh, no, uh, never heard of it. It's a cooperative um, submarine game. So, like, you're, you're playing in a... Uh, a simulated submarine uh, and it's one of the U-boats. it's one of the german boats and they got a lot of flack oh well you're, why are we playing nazis in the, in the in the submarines and the pushback was well they weren't nazis you know this is a whole different part of the german army matter of fact the germans they came uh you know they would come up from their submarines. they would look at what's going on with the rest of the army they go what what's going on there <laughs> it was, they found the rest of the German. what was going on in uh, the german army weird and then part of the, the german truth army. is
0: yeah, the truth is it's just it's it's difficult for us to know in retrospect because there were you know you can look at the numbers percentages of people german military people who were were not officially part of the party but of course there was a huge push um for them to join the party right and so how many of those people reluctantly joined joined because they had to felt compelled so we just have to be very careful about you know that piece um but there, but there's a different discussion about obsession with the German military by the West and obs- an obsession with Nazism. Like it, those are those are very related but different things, right? Mm-hmm. And okay. so um, I, I think that uh, so what so what spawned this conversation is you yeah, always was talking about the the challenges of doing um, game design research when you're dealing with a conflict like Stalingrad at the time, which is what I, what I was working on, where you have a lot of what the West knew about Stalingrad came from two different things. It came from German sources um, and it came from Soviet propaganda, right? Well, there was propaganda on both sides.
1: Talk about and what Stalingrad so, was just in case people don't know.
0: Sure. Yeah. So Stalingrad was a, a one of the most pivotal battles, um, you know, in, in World War II. It obviously had both strategic value, but also very, um, you know, just, just the name itself, right? Like it was a very secret to, to you know, the leadership on both sides. And so, it was a turning point in, in World War II. It was one of the bloodiest battles in, in human history, not World War II history, but human history. So uh, a, an extremely important conflict, and it, and it occurred between, in this case, the Germans and the Soviets, right? So there's no Western involvement directly. Um, and so as a, as a researcher, now there was a very short period of time after the fall of the Soviet Union where the Western world had access to actual Soviet military or Russian after the the, the fall um, records, but otherwise you were limited to Soviet propaganda, which you know, there was a reason that it was propaganda and you had German propaganda. And so one of the things that I think came out of World War II was this weird Western and especially American fixation with the German military, mm-hmm. right? So not necessarily Nazism, right? Not necessarily like SS units and elite units, though there was a lot of that too. And and Artie can speak to this or Gary can speak to this way better than I can, and, and it's not nearly as prevalent now, but the, between that period of like, say, 1950 to the maybe middle 80s, you see a ridiculous amount of war game obsession with Germany and and Nazi, SS, et cetera, uh, symbolism. And, and I, won't, I won't go too, I'll tease this out a little bit. And I don't know if you want to talk about this much, but when you go back, there's a game that was put out by Avalon Hill in the 60s, I think, called Stalingrad. And every picture, there's, it's like a picture collage on the cover of it. Every single picture, it's about Stalingrad, which the Soviets win a key turning point in the battle of World War II or in World War Two. Every picture is a German. Every single picture on the cover is a German, right? And then you look at things like Upfront and you look at things like Squad Leader and it's prominent Germans featured with, you know, SS symbology, right? So. Go ahead,
3: Gary. You, it, you yeah, have a lot weird, of experience it,
1: with this, so you could talk a little so, bit more about that.
3: So there's there's an element of as, as was mentioned, you know, the pop, kind of pop culture absorption of Nazis, whether as comical figures or as straight-up villains or whatever, right? And, and I think that tends to, in the public imagination, simplify, oversimplify the reality of the, the the history. Um, there was also a big trend in the post-war period of German generals who, you know, their their country is now a, either they were captured by the Soviets, in which case they had a pretty crappy rest of their lives, or they came over to the West and were friendly to the West. A few of them were involved in the formation of the Bundeswehr, the modern uh, German army that began with West Germany. And there was a whole historiography that grew up around this, uh, aided and abetted by British historians like Liddell Hart, for example, that kind of told... A lot of the story of World War II from the German perspective, because we really, as David mentioned, we didn't really have the Soviet perspective. We had some pro- some propagandistic accounts that we didn't, for good reasons, ro- uh, regard as particularly trustworthy. And then we had these much more detailed and and what seemed at the time to be much more credible uh, German accounts. Many of those accounts were self serving by those particular military leaders uh, to to make themselves that you know am- among the the things that we continued to hear from people like Darien and Manstein um, where you know this every ever when we failed because of Hitler's dumb decisions eh, it's a bit of an oversimplification to say the least um, so there were there were military strictly military failures on, on the Germans part as well so uh, but David's right to mention that the, the sort of fixation for a long period I think publishers are more cognizant of this now at least most of them are, um uh, of hey we just released you know our last 13 world war ii games have had a german guy exclusively on the cover
1: <laughs> it's a little weird Jars me nuts. I, I, <laughs> that's weird. why i want to talk about this yeah like, even even for on? like
3: signature american battles sometimes like the battle of the bulge you'll, you'll get a box with the, it says battle of the bulge with big with german guy on the cover and it's a little weird right um, and so the, the I mean the post-war it's there's there's a lot of reasons for that and the post-war historiography is one of those reasons the 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 pop culture romanticism of the war in general and to some extent the Germans because we, we see a lot of uh, fiction accounts of uh this this noble non, non-nazi German uh character that uh, that doesn't have any patience with the Nazis and uh, just wants to get this his you know job of victory done we see this in a, such a classic as dust boat for example where the the captain has very little patience with the the ardent nazi first officer i think he's the first the first officer and the rest of the crew is like rolling their eyes at this guy too right so so we see a lot of that uh, there is a, a phenomenon that was observed called, uh, called something like whitewashing of the Wehrmacht or the, the clean Wehrmacht, where all the war crimes were committed by the Waffen SS, uh, and the, but the Wehrmacht was pretty clean. Uh, that's not actually true either. Um, and even the you know at the at army level commands, the, uh, the the army level commanders like Manstein and Guderian were directing uh, units of Einsatzgruppen that were rounding up. Intervention in the in the uh, in the rear areas as the military campaign was going forward. And that's something that they were deeply involved in. So that is a myth that has begun to be dispelled lately. Um, and I think it contributed to the ability of, of people with a lay understanding of the topic to feel a little better about playing the Germans, right? Because hey, there's mm. Germans who are just honorable Germans and getting it, you know, serving their country and all this too. And and while that was true, right? I'm not suggesting that that's not true. Um, everybody's hands are dirty to to some extent. David mentions quite correctly that not every German is a Nazi, but they're all kind of doing what the Nazis are telling them to do. So to some extent, those kinds of statements are uh, are, are are in made in bad faith.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i was actually gonna i I was actually gonna bring that up which is like okay i know we like to distinguish all right so maybe not everybody like was carrying the actual nazi card but i mean if you're doing the bidding of nazis and you're just serving your country but that country is run by nazis at what point i mean how can you still tell yourself that you're innocent in that i I i was just
3: following orders worked out poorly for eichmann in the long run (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes did <laughs> but i also think that that sort of excuse making game is very interesting so i notice in my reviews and stuff all the time um you know somebody will leave a comment and it's pretty clear they think that they've just kind of like owned me on my point it's like wow they weren't actually nazis and i'm like this is not the argument you think it is um right. you know i also get erroneous corrections sometimes so um you know i did a review of bismarck Zaltair from worthington uh and you know you get like a little very nazi looking german medal of pride when you complete a mission there really well and i just said like if you don't like to play this sort of thing you probably should avoid this game like this looks like something i feel really awkward to find in my grandpa's attic and i got this huge comment that was like actually the bismarck was not a world war ii boat it was a world war one boat and it was like this whole thing about how i know i know and I i was just like that's not what wikipedia said and sent him a link and he apologized he did but the instinct to try to defend is mm. so strong that people will just say whatever they have to say to make it not that bad and to make you whiny and hysterical as opposed to raising a point about something that could legitimately make somebody uncomfortable.
1: So uh, to be clear, just to kind of, th- thank you so much I mean, uh, for like drawing up that picture. Like there's, So there seems to be a gamer instinct to A, want to kind of be in that German military aspect and we can talk about we'll drill down on why like why that particular um you know aesthetic or idea is drawing but to distinguish that from oh, well, wow, but that doesn't make me a nazi blah, blah, blah. so there's a tension there right and so the myth of the clean wehrmacht is a way forward to engage that because it's like okay um the clean the Wehrmacht was you know big large German thing and then the Nazis parties were just kind of like co-opted. And they did all these kind of, uh, you know, all the difficult things are, you know, over there. So you did a talk about this. And I talked and I, and I, I watched the whole thing, David. It was awesome. Uh, drilled down a little bit more about what the propagandistic function of the Wehrmacht, What did America get out of? Because America participated in that, too. So, like, what did it, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I, well, um so, sorry to, to put you on the spot to boil that a two hour no, talk. No, no, into no, 10 no. Minutes. no,
0: I mean, I, well. So I mean, it kind of just goes back to what we were saying before, you know. So so what everybody has said is totally true. Um, So and and Gary already mentioned this, right? So basically, we had coming out of World War II, we when we wanted to talk about like the Eastern Front or even the U.S. engagement with with Germans, right? We had two things going against us in terms of accuracy of reflecting what was going on. One, in a conflict like Stalingrad, we had to just basically believe the German. you know, text, which was, as Gary said, self-serving. The other thing that we had to navigate our way through, like looking back to history now, is American propaganda, right? And what? so what do I mean by that? Okay, so let's, let's look at U.S. Uh, units operating in uh, late World War II, okay? So if we have a U.S. unit and they're going up against Germans in Battle of the Bulge and they're going up against a, a paratrooper unit, well, so for, for us, if we say we're going up against a paratrooper unit, Oh, that's an elite unit. Right. And so what, what you'll find is you'll find us records talking about these great deeds that units did against these elite units. Well, okay. They were a paratrooper unit by name, yeah, but they, they were they jumped out, out of a by, plane.
1: They, well, they, <laughs> they, they a...
0: didn't jump out of a plane. Right. They, they, they were filled with, you know, replacement. They were filled with old men and young boys. And they're, and they're, I mean, they're, I'm not saying that every single person was, but like, there's a cadre of, of trained seasoned people and there's a bunch of officers doing a bunch of tactically stupid things, et cetera. And so what you have is this combination of, you know, we're, we're sort of circular reporting the German propaganda and we're falling for our own U.S. propaganda about these crazy things, you know, that, that, that really don't reflect the exact tactical truth. Um, and there was also this, this related notion of we want to make the Germans military this you know this 10 foot tall soldier because we overcame that so it makes us feel better about ourselves right mm-hmm. so all these things are sort of conspiring together to have this myth that was created about the german efficient superiority you know efficiency superiority combat superiority etc cetera, etc cetera, so that at the end well not only did we win but we overcame this this great obstacle right
1: okay and uh, uh gary uh, t- t- uh break down how that's a bunch of bs <laughs> well, Break down like what a little bit of the real story of what the Germans like the opposition that the Germans presented, just a little bit. I know that, and you
3: could yeah. see this in in uh, a lot of games. Actually, we're are playing a Battle of the Bulge game right now, for example, and and in that Battle of the Bulge game, are several formations of Fallschirmjäger, right? German paratroopers, right? And and some of these Fallschirmjäger units were in fact pretty elite commandos that were jump rated and and did in some cases combat jumps over a place like Eben Emael or a place like Crete. Um, and some of them were uh, guys that were scraped together because of the compartmentalization of the German military overall. Remember that the German military is actually three different, completely parallel organizations, really four, to count the Navy. I'll I'm. I'm not going to. But there's really four. Uh, there's the Wehrmacht, which is the army. The Here. Um, there is the Luftwaffe, which is the air, which is the air force. But there's a, like a lot of ground elements in it. And then there's the Waffen SS, which is kind of sworn to Hitler personally, right? Mm. Um, a lot of that the Luftwaffe elements, you know, most famously the, the 88 millimeter flat cannons that. That turned out to be fabulous anti-tank weapons, and so were used in that capacity. But a lot of those Luftwaffe units are are were not exactly cream of the crop troops, right? Uh, entire divisions of these guys were put together with designations like Third Fallschmieger and Fifth Fallschmieger. And then when you actually look at them, and we can see this reflected in a well-designed battle of the bulge game, for example, because we see Third Fallschmieger, Fifth Fallschmieger. They're not that good. <laughs> they're 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 less good than the average American troops in in that game, for example. Now, to some extent, you got to you know it's this is not a, a scientific study; it's a game to be played for recreational purposes. But uh, but you could see it in the simulation too. Um, the the and, and two sometimes those those things are adjusted just for the sake of game balance to make the dynamic work. Right. Uh, but you could see that that the and and the 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 history backs this up that say Luftwaffe units. And famously, you know, toward the end of the war especially, we had a lot of these Volksgrenadier divisions, some of which were pretty good, but some of which were the proverbial old men on boys, so, and boys, some of whom even had bicycles. So oh, wow. uh,
1: and, and, in, don't, and like the, in the in the theater of battle, they'd be riding bicycles. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Well, no. I mean, they ride bicycles to the battle and then ditch the bicycle and start fighting. But but bicycle transport was not particularly rare in the German army. I mean, remember that they had the the German army used more horses than tanks, right? Um, so for logistics as well as cal- they had still had cavalry, uh, uh, which wow. not really at a large scale, not to the same extent that the Soviets did, but the, the whole Eastern Front. Uh, throughout that entire period, clear through to the end, the Germans were still feeling a, a, some amount of cavalry. So and that that is a reflection of Germany as a state being pushed to its extreme limits of of manpower and resources and all that. They didn't have the oil to run the tanks. I think uh, the figure for a tiger tank is that it could go about 900 feet on a gallon of gas, so, something hmm. like that. Which is terrible. <laughs> it's worse than my car. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it's <laughs> well, I mean, it, it obviously we're not seeing that on the box covers, right? We're not seeing right. like you know a, a German cavalry unit riding a bicycle on the cover of the Battle of the Bulge. Like, what we're seeing is, I mean, you could speak to this, list because you cover a lot of these games, like you know, the heroic stance, the guy that,
3: throwing a potato masher grenade to spend on 120 box covers,
1: the, you know, or like you know, a giant tank, you know, like shiny and mm-hmm. new, and like there's all this, like you know, it the. Ubermensch, right? And that mm-hmm. that idea of the the Superman, the Superman soldier, and that's like because so we knew Nietzsche. Nietzsche is where we get the Ubermensch idea from, the idea philosophical idea of like this this Superman uh, evolved human being. So like that idea is imputed upon the army to uh, David says like it just makes us look better.
3: It's right? and it's to the West's advantage after the war to play up this myth too, which is why nobody yeah. really argued much with guys like Liddell Hart. Um, to to play up this advantage of German military superiority because they needed at least the illusion of German military superiority to counteract the Soviets and then later the Warsaw Pact. Right, it was the West Germany was built up as as a stumbling block, a, a literal speed bump uh, to to. Uh, hypothetical soviet or warsaw pact advance into the rest of europe right mm-hmm. uh that's where the big battle would take place and and we see that in games on that topic right which have flowered in recent years for reasons unclear to me uh that the topic of uh nato versus warsaw pact stuff in the late 70s or, or up to the mid mid to late 80s mm-hmm.
1: so i mean is it fair to say that gamers have bought the bullshit
3: <laughs> I, I think it's fair to say that that i don't i don't want to where I, i'm going to draw this the, the, the distinction here is i don't think that's specific to gamers um okay. i think it's just clearer for gamers because we do this stuff right i think in general i think the general population with a mild layperson's interest in history has bought this stuff i don't think it's just gamers i think mm-hmm. gamers are probably less, I would hope, but I, I could, I could be wrong again. Uh, I, mean, a I less less will tell
1: you like in the, in the comments, <laughs> in the comments yeah, well, that yeah, you well, you know, you and, know. And I think it is a worse problem with gamers because gamers put us in the position where we're doing this stuff. Yes. Right. You know, so it's like the general normal population, they may be ingesting movies or books or whatever it is is—and this. So there's no challenge in terms of like, okay, do you believe it? Do you not believe it? What do you think about it? I'm just enjoying it passively. Gamers do this stuff. We put mm-hmm. ourselves in those modes and from the comments that we get, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. You no, know, Liz and I, especially at Liz began to describe the bet. You can go for hours. Liz, <laughs> like for some, for on some level, gamers have ingested the idea. That it is attractive. It is, you know, somehow that, you know, this, the, the idea of the awesome German, you know, military. Uh, and so, and to, to David's point, we're going to distinguish that from Nazi just for a second, just like the awesome German military uh, draws us in.
3: So, so let me, the, also, the, 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 the let, let me close oh, that can, out okay. real quick. The, 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 the Idea of the Germans as this superior military force is absolutely something that is bought into by gamers. Uh, even gamers who do a lot of this, they may have a more nuanced understanding of the topic than your average undereducated person on the street, but we're we're all still guilty of this. Right. Okay,
2: Yeah, I want to say I kind of wanted to push. I I don't necessarily I, I do agree with gamers being asked to embody things, right? But I also think that the reason that we're perceiving this as an extra large problem in gaming is because we're also at an interesting kind of touch point in gaming where we are as a community fighting about whether this is just goofy stuff for fun or whether we mm-hmm. should take it seriously and whether criticism of games should be serious. And mm-hmm. that's playing in, in multiple arenas across the hobby, you know, people who are doing different types of reviews. like I mean, even like, no pun included has like had this explode on their Twitter recently. Um, but I, I think part of what's going on too. So there's a couple of things. One, the worst thing that you can call somebody, right. in, in our current society is a Nazi and like mean it's that's considered extremely like, you know? Um, so I think that because you're embodying a certain group of people in your games, you're extra defensive about it because you need that emotional shield of like, I am not this and so you're looking for ways for it to be okay. Um, but I also think that we are in the middle of, you know, kind of a scrap about the soul of games criticism and where it's going to go. And, you know, I, I think historical gamers want to have it both ways. And I'm not saying that in a, like, haha I'm criticizing you, ha, huh? way. But what I mean is like, we as a community, we want to have fun with our games. We want to feel smart when we play our games. Like, ah, I know a lot about history, but then we don't necessarily want to deal with the consequences of that if that makes sense. Like you can't come from a position of authority and claim to be educated about something and presenting a historical topic. And then the moments of criticism of that comes up, you wanna to retreat to, well, it's just a game. Mm. And I feel like we're kind of mm. in a point where we're deciding who we wanna be and how we wanna approach this stuff. And you know, mm. it's going to tell us a lot about who we are You know, in terms of the decisions we make at this point. So obviously y'all know where I've come down like I have an entire podcast about games criticism, (laughs) like the, you know, the responsibilities that accrue from making games about history and making those claims and what that should mean. Um, But I think there are people who, you know, even like the old Avalon Hill stuff, like somebody posted an old Avalon Hill ad of like, oh, see if you can get some of your guy friends with brain matter to play these games because, you know, normal (laughs) dick, dumbass peons can't play an Avalon Hill game, you know, (laughs) that's basically (laughs) the impression, right? So you can't be that and then claim that you're not doing something intellectual with your games. Mm. So you have to pick. And I think that people are still at a point where they don't know how to choose. Mm.
0: I, I do Jason, I, w- I want to add one more thing though, because you know, I know that it seems um, especially to you and Liz, I, I think, uh, because you have people commenting on your videos and stuff like that, it seems like this this, this is big sort of movement or whatever. But I, I, wanna, I want us to put mm. <laughs> <laughs> But I do want to put this conversation in a little bit of perspective, right? Because sure. I think that I think that when this this sort of like reverence or whatever, whatever you want to call it for like the German military or whatever. Um, I, I mentioned this before, I mean, the time periods that it was really going on are, are, are large, longly, you know, largely past us now, right? So like, really, we're talking, in my opinion, like 60s, 70s, 80s. And what's really crazy about it is this, if you think about this, 19, early 1980s was closer to World War II than it is to now, right? Which is mind boggling when you think about it, but that is a true statement. We're all old so, is what
3: that means. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> Everything um, feels was, like 20 was, years
1: ago, even though it was 40.
0: <laughs> so I was looking up, I, I wanted to research some of the like old war game clubs and stuff. Cause now I would submit to at least to the four of us, and I think the, the vast majority of gamers, it would be super odd to have a war game club in the United States named after like a German thing, right? Like individual people doing weird things is strange to us, right? That would be beyond the norm. And so, um, you, you might not know the name Don Greenwood. I know that Gary obviously does. He, one of the vice presidents of Avalon Hill back in the day. Uh, and Gary Gygax had a war game club called Fa- Panzer Faust. It was named after a German anti tank weapon. There were war games clubs called the Fourth Reich or you know, Panzer Lair. So like, these were very common things you know, that, that um, the war game clubs in America were named after, which just is mind blowing. And we would, it would never, like, it just would happen now, I don't think. I, maybe, I'm, maybe Gary, you have a different perspective, but at least I don't think you'd see that anymore. I think you would say, that's a little strange. I'm not sure.
3: Uh, cre- creepy was the term I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, even at the, t- I mean, I... I would like to think, and maybe I'm fooling myself that I, I think that would be considered weird and creepy even at the time. Uh, but you're right that that was not particularly uncommon. There was also a magazine called either Panzer Faust or Panzer Shrek. I forget which one. Um, so, yeah, that is a kind of thing that used to happen. And, and I don't think we're seeing that anymore. Uh, but, you know, that's a complicated discussion that's maybe that maybe we're not going to fully explore here. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, I I think in most cases that was done without malicious intent. It was just dumb um, and and thoughtless uh, and 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 in poor taste. Uh, but I don't necessarily. I mean, I I've met some of those guys, and, and they're not necessarily. You know, we're walking around in waffen SS uniforms nowadays either, uh, and it just wasn't it was considered less outrageous and, and, and tasteless at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, it's, it's, it's really bizarre to go back and look at that kind of stuff now.
0: Yeah.
1: So, okay. I think just, so I, I mean, I'm a psychotherapist. So like, I'm not a historian or I try to be <laughs> my, my, my side thing, but like, I, I try to look at this thing psychotherapeutically because it doesn't, it, 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 the question of why really kind of just drums at me over and over again, because of the comments that we get. So I think what you're talking about in terms of like the weirdness and stuff, gamers, many gamers come to this hobby because they want a safe space to misbehave. Right, that's what kind of what it comes down to. Like we, like so many of us, want to be in this space. We want to kill our orcs. We want to, you know, uh, do true crime stuff. We want, to eject the, we want to be all these things. And Nazis uh, represent kind of the because of the you know the, the good the good and evil. Like the the height of misbehaviors. Like you know, uh, if I can be a Nazi here, then all my misbehavior is safe. So it's like, um, so there's so there's a there one stream of like gamers like to misbehave. There is a now dormant. like mean, we wouldn't. Uh, We don't have as much German military worship distinct from Nazis as as much as we had. But I think it's fair to say that those decades of German military worship have kind of seeded the ground because of the way the justifications played out, because of the persistence of those groups. Even if we don't obviously justify the German military, I think that gamers have developed a tolerance for Nazi stuff. Because of so many decades of German military acceptance and glorification, all that kind of stuff. So now we're in this moment where we're not going to get Gary Gary group. We're not going to do like the Panzer III or not in the mainstream. Like maybe TSR will do that. <laughs> I have no doubt that Gary Gary's son is like, you know, in, in the fifth right right now. No doubt. Uh, so then that's the fringe. But in the closer to the center, a random comment on BG will want to defend like the gamer ability to play a nazi in a game to the to the death that that becomes a thing or like and if any whiff of like you know lefty criticism any whiff of whatever it's gonna it's gonna immediately get that snapback well i play a nazi game does that make me bad and i just i don't know that that's the one right so it's like the german military worship very very uh important to understand but i think we're in a it enabled a different moment of more Obvious defense, if not of Nazis in general, but of playing Nazis. So I
2: think that, that that does make sense. And I actually think that one of the reasons Nazis are the fixations, because again, like that's the worst place you can go. And so if that's something that you can justify then like a whole range of other things are also okay because Nazi is the outer edge of what we would deem acceptable. And I actually think that this plays into a lot of discussions that Jason, you have on shelf stories all the time of things like, you know, let's examine our colonial sensibilities. Um, Let's talk about how we're treating women and people of color in games. Let's talk about how, you know, diversity inclusion in games and who are representing and how. Um, I think that that argument is basically trying to move to the outer edge of the territory, right? So that then everything else also just becomes right. whining. I think that, you know, your discussions in the past about people being afraid of their games being taken away, or like, oh, I'm playing a game like this. Does that make me a bad person? Are you judging me as a person because the game I'm playing? I think that the 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 Nazi discussion, right, is just the it's the far extreme end of like defensiveness about that. And if you win that argument in somebody's mind, maybe, then all the other arguments also are just pre- Right. Determined, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, I defend my my Nazi. <laughs> I'm going to defend my rights, play a Nazi the game. And therefore. uh, And so, OK. And so now we're in this. So that's where we are now. Like, I don't think let the, me uh, point uh, out that.
3: Yeah. Uh, the phenomenon we're describing of the kind of safe space to misbehave, and I agree with everything that's been said, sure. is not limited to war games specifically. We see it mm-hmm. in D&D. Oh, we yeah, see yeah. it in Absolutely. video games. It's perhaps Absolutely. most prominent, uh, prominent in video games, actually. The, yeah. the obnoxious troll uh, has become an infamous pop culture punching bag. Sure.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Also, I got all the Daedric artifacts in Skyrim, and sometimes it felt gross, but I did it.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, like,
2: <laughs> it happened.
1: <laughs> Right. Uh, and so, OK. Um, so, David, uh, just to kind of let, let's bring it back down to like the, the board gaming and all kind of stuff. Uh, you you make World War II games. Right. But I think I, I heard somewhere you talk about like you don't like playtesting the Nazi side. Right. You, yeah. Or, or, so... or the German side, the SS side or whatever it is. So like talk a little yeah. bit about like let's let's reconnect the conversation to like, OK, what are we really talking about here in terms of like Nazis mm-hmm. and Germans and all that kind of thing? Yeah.
0: I mean, so it depends uh, if given the choice, I will never pick to play the German side, right? Just, I, I would just rather not now it's, I would not, it depends on the game. It depends on the topic. It depends on how abstract it is, et cetera. Right. So, you know, during the design part of undaunted Normandy, for example, I would typically do the design work. Like I would do design the scenarios, et cetera, et cetera. And when I was play testing, I would typically play the U S side until it became necessary to play the German side to ensure balance on both sides, right? So you, your preference. Now the extreme case is um, it, in some of my solo games, right? That are in set in World War II, um, there are variants of those games where you can play the German side, right? Usually that's, it's allows for, if a, if a person's familiar with the game and they wanna teach it to another player, they would play the German side as a variant to kind of help the other si- the other player play the more complicated side. That's the typical thing. There was an exception to to one of those games, Soldiers in Postman's Uniform, because the actions in the game being simulated by the German side and and the Danzig City police side was so horrific that I was like, I'm not gonna put a player in the position Mm. where they can take this this role on. Right. So there's there is the player preference piece, of which I would just rather not play the Germans, but I'll do it um in, in some games, in most games. Um and then there's the piece where as a designer, I'm just not gonna create a game. To allow our person to embody a, a
1: thing that i'm not comfortable with mm-hmm. so it's still gross <laughs> yes <laughs> like there's still <laughs> yeah. a level of grossness there just to kind Absolutely. of like you know yeah. we talk about like uh i mean I'm, I'm saying something about okay james defend the general position of playing nazis the game but there's still a grossness right. there yeah like, yeah and, and, and
0: let's but but and, and just to, to pull the thread a little bit you know let's compare that to um Pavlo's house which is a, a, a wehrmacht german unit that you can play i, I allow players to play a, a right. variant of that you know certainly all the undaunted games you can play the german units even in castle itter which is an ss unit i allow the the player to 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 take the role of the german unit in the, in the variant because the thing they're doing in the game is a direct military conflict against other combatant enemy combatants right like what you're doing in the game is not the super gross thing But um, but I'm not going to create a game where you're doing this, you know, um, horrific acts against non-combatants, and allow somebody Mm -hmm. to take that role on.
1: Mm -hmm. So here's where the conversation for me, for me, that goes a little bit beyond comments. And I'll bring Gary in for this, too. Um, So we can defend in the abstract. And I think all of us defend in the abstract. Let me know if you agree or disagree. You can make those games. Like as long, yeah, you know, we, we're not, you know, we're not, not going to cancel games and everything. You can make those games, make whatever you want. Basically, you know, if you want to play the Germans, you, even if you feel gross, like David makes those games and <laughs> has, has their own lines in it. But the, so and we can defend the principle in the abstract. However, there's a looming issue of neo-Nazism, which is a whole separate thing, but that's there in gaming. And Gary, we, you had just glanced at it on a comment that you made to me, but tell me a little bit about if you've had experiences with neo-nazism in the games that you uh, in the gaming experience that you've had.
3: So we, some of us may remember a company called Bell and Blade that used to show up to vend at conventions for a long time including all the big conventions they were origins they were gen con and among the things that they sold they sold a lot like old military films and stuff like that but they also sold these like you know world tour t-shirts for military units and they had some u.s units like they might have the big red one i think i remember them doing a big red one t-shirt but they also had every single ss division had a t-shirt okay and Somebody was buying those. And, 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 and as embarrassing as I as, as embarrassed as I am to admit this, I bought one. And every time I considered wearing it, I was I, I said to myself, is that a good idea to wear this? And I never once wore it. I have no idea what happened to it. Don't care. Um, so, so clearly somebody was buying those, and I have seen those folks at 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 conventions walking around in you know Das Reich T-shirts, for example. Um, and you know, while I don't think it's safe to assume that person is a neo-Nazi, I certainly feel that that's in bad taste, and you certainly are led to wonder about the political slash moral convictions of that person. Um, as far as like actual I don't wanna say card carrying, but like pe- people with like real neo-Nazi sympathies, we absolutely see them in wargaming. Mm. I, what I am not convinced of is that we necessarily see more of them in wargaming than we do in the general population. Because sure. we see those people in the general population too. too. And I, I think they're, a lot, there's, they're more visible in the general population than they are in in the war game. And I'm talking strictly about the wargaming hobby here because that's what I've been involved in most heavily for the last 10 years. Um, there are those people uh i know probably more people who are uh you know as i i know a few people who will just not play the germans in a world they're willing to play world war ii games they just won't play the germans i personally have a preference for not playing the confederates in a civil war game mm-hmm. i play a fair amount mm-hmm. of civil war games I, I won't say i won't because at some level if you want to play the game somebody's got to be the confederates right but, uh, and the same thing with the Germans, uh, but it's it's my preference not to. So uh, I guess the, the short answer, and, and maybe this is an unsatisfying answer, is that, yeah, we have those elements in, in the wargaming hobby. I, I think they're not that prominent. Um, I think they're more prominent, maybe not numerically more per capita in, in the general population and say on Twitter, for example, I think you get a lot more like legit neo-Nazi buzz on, on on your average social media platform than you necessarily do going into a wargaming convention, okay. and even among wargamers, uh, you really don't see many of those those Waffen SS t shirts floating around anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you have a YouTube channel where you're you're doing all this stuff, Liz. I mean, I'm making I'm trying to make distinctions here, right? I'm trying to you know, it it would be easy to say the person, like the person who defended an SS and all that kind of stuff, it would be easy to kind of call them a Nazi. And I think we're trying to say, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. No,
3: I would just call them an idiot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they might so, not be a Nazi, but they're definitely an idiot.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I'm very nice. <laughs> <don't know>. Uninformed. <laughs> something, something along those lines. Insufficiently uh, so, informed. <laughs> So, I mean, is that something so in terms of, you know, taking aside that comment for whatever it is, have you encountered the stronger form of it, either in a comment or in just, you know, products that you've observed, you know, like a stronger tendency towards not just, you know, excusing the the abstract principle, but really identifying with Nazi symbols and all that kind of thing.
2: So I have been really fortunate uh, in that the answer is generally no. Uh, People on my channel seem to kind of know what i'm about and even if we have disagreements i'm not running into like full-on neo-nazis on my channel to my knowledge um and i'm glad that's that's a good thing uh, <laughs> i have um i have seen like little neo-nazis on the subway in europe so i know that they exist um i have seen them at metal shows in my childhood, but then fortunately the band played Nazi punks f off, so that was fine. Um, they were <laughs> informed of everybody else's feelings, um, so like they they appear right? right. And then there are sometimes pictures that show up in the war game groups that on facebook that really kind of creeped me out like um i distinctly remember an image of a guy who was super proud of his war game day with his friend and it was like germans versus russians and they had somebody dressed up like a russian with like a big soviet flag and he was dressed up with like a little helmet and they had found a like swastika flag to hang up in their house to play this game and David, I probably sent it to you with a big like "WTF" on
1: FaceChat or something. David <laughs> <laughs> remembers. Look at his knowing smile.
2: <laughs> but so to me, like, would that person probably go out to the store and be like, "Ha, I'm a Nazi. I believe." Like, no. But we also have a lot of people in the world who are saying that they're not that, and who are behaving in very suspiciously unpleasant ways. Mm-hmm. So. I also think that what you have to talk about with that is how many people have sort of fascistic tendencies who don't want to admit it and would like to disguise it as freedom. And then how many people are straight up asking for the next Reich? I don't, it's hard to exactly distinguish. And I actually think that that's where a lot of this anxiety comes from because you don't want to be mistaken for something that you're not, right? But you also want to be free to do whatever you want. So we're all kind of in that place of like, oh, well, how do I communicate that? Like, well, I'm not really this, but I want to play this. Versus I want to play this because I really like it. Like maybe a little too much versus, you know, mm-hmm. I am full on doing a historical apology for something that most people find abhorrent. Um, you know, it gets really hard to tell after a certain point. And I think that that's, you know, when much of our anxiety, right? Like we don't want to be misperceived, but we also want our complete freedom to choose what to play and people's anxiety about that is at the fore especially right now in the world of social media where like you can post your your picture of your special war day with your friend and people who don't know you are going to see it I don't know those people I'm not sure I want to based on that photo to be totally honest but, <laughs> but for all I know they're just some like normal people who had a bad idea but mm-hmm. I don't know that from that picture
1: right.
2: and I would not care to find out more based on that picture and I think that that pretty much says it all
1: that's ultimately, I love what you said before about gamers wanting it both ways, you know, like we want to be able to celebrate our misbehavior and post and, you know, be as misbehaving as possible, but then also have that plausible deniability, you know, of like, oh, it's, uh, I, this is just the game or, you know, whatever it is. And I think like where I ultimately land and I, I struggle to communicate this, but I really want to emphasize that I don't, I want to accuse any person of anything. Like, I don't know what a neo-Nazi is, uh, uh, or I haven't met one of them in person at a gaming convention, but I have had them reach out to me in my DMs. Like people who identify as that kind of white supremacist, uh, you know, and I get more of that, the white supremacist, but like it's it's very, very, you know, the, that, that Venn diagram is very close. Uh, so I one I I think that gamers by defending Nazis so hard and by going pressing that button over and over again, we I'm not saying they're Nazis, but I think we're playing with fire. I think the idea is that as we normalize, as we, you know, indulge this, you know, the, the different things like the, the clean Wehrmacht and, you know, Nazis is funny as we as we as we in- normalize these ideas. We don't know what we're attracting. We don't know that, you know, we're kind of slowly, you know, making seeding the ground towards more and more aggressive versions. Of that. So like that picture is a perfect example. So it's like if that picture gets posted, it doesn't get taken down and you have half the people defending it. Well, then a neo-Nazi to look at there, go, Oh, that's that's a home for me. You know, I can I can hang out there. And so like that person didn't intend to invite that in. But other things will be attracted despite the person's intentions. That's ultimately where I um, land here is. I don't know, and and I guess like um you know, and I talked about this with Doctor Rail in a previous episode. Uh, I'm maybe a little bit rattled by the uh, extent and the depth of white supremacy thinking in our in our hobby. I'm, I'm encountering it more directly than ever, really. So uh, I don't know if so. That's ultimately where I land. I, I know I have my own particular perspective on it, but uh, I wanted to invite each of my panelists to give you know their own perspective on where we're at. You know, kind of evaluate overall where we're at in terms of gamers and our ability to kind of handle nazism germans uh, effectively or do you think we're have, have we improved have we you know do we have uh, places to go so i'll start with david uh where do you think we are now and are we at a healthy place with how to handle german stuff
0: well this is interesting I, first of all i think that you all probably encounter it more than i do just because of where you are in the hobby right um liz knows this and i think i think I can't remember. I think Jason, maybe I shared some of this with you. Not specifically Nazism, but like the sort of, man, I don't know how I don't know how exactly you would articulate but the sort of sort of white supremacist sort of um, piece of it. The main place I encounter it are things like the Undaunted covers and the feedback I've received from those. Right. So just just quickly, I'll tell you know to kind of recap that. So every Undaunted cover has had you know the first one had uh, African American soldiers on it, right? And um, the response I got immediately, overwhelmingly, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking probably, I've heard about 30 comments, right? Mm-hmm. So 30-ish comments about um, everything from blacks were only cooks and truck drivers in World War II, which is just wrong, uh, to, um, you know, there were no integrated platoons in World War II, which is which is also wrong. Uh, never once did I receive, and, and, and also very, very, almost always, it'll be couched in a defense of, I want my war games to be accurate, h- historically accurate. That's always the, the, the sort of like what it's hiding behind, but that's not true because the arguments that are made are not historically accurate arguments about it, mm. right? And so the most recent, you mentioned mm. Battle of Britain. So it has a Sikh, it has a, a Western Caribbean uh, pilot on it. And all of the comments we got, I mean, we, there were three deleted, there were three threads on BGG the day the cover came out that were so bad that they were instantly deleted like it, mm. it wasn't just hey can you please explain you know the 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 reason behind this right so that's that's the primary area that i encounter right is, is the representation of um some of the the uh the games that i've been involved with um it's really hard because i uh, trying to do my best to kind of go back and see where the hobbies come from it seems to me like we're still in a better place than we have been in the past but I guess one counterpoint might be that in the past it was it, it felt more obvious, and so now we might be in a more dangerous place where mm. it, it is. Um, we do have to navigate this world of like well, we're not trying to cancel it, as you say, right? So we have to navigate this extremely nuanced response to well, how do how do we navigate this this world that we're in right now? So.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure dropping bombs, great. man <laughs> dropping bombs i love that just the idea of like I and mean, we didn't even talk about that but you know people saying uh they defend their positions which happen to coincide with a white supremacist business i'm not calling anybody white supremacist but it happens to coincide with that vision on the grounds of well hits history and i get right. that all the time my god so right. like that is- yeah so we're so in a way right. it's like you know I, I, and also, God, David, you're so great. <laughs> and like, you know, in a previous era, at least it was more obvious. Now it's so much more harder to see and, and therefore harder to talk about. Right. So, yeah, right. No, we're, in a, mm-hmm. a, we're in a very right. interesting, definitely changed moment, but, you yeah. know, there's pluses and minuses there. So thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, sure. Gary, well, same question. Uh, where do you think we are? Uh, I mean, you're obviously steeped in the war game stuff, but like where do you think we are um, in terms of the hobby, being able to handle, you know, the German Nazi question?
3: Well, I think it's pretty obvious that we're not in as healthy a position as we'd like to be in. But I'll agree with David that I I think in a lot of ways, maybe not every way, uh, we are in a better place than we were, say, 20 or 30 years ago. And certainly a better place than we were in a time where you had a war game club called the Fourth Reich. Um, I think I am happy to fall back on arguments of historical merit, right? Where you have a historical Sikh pilot. Right, that's at somebody I didn't know about until like last week. Um, so there's you, always, David. there's always <laughs> right. There, there's always room for us to learn more about this stuff. Um, so, so I, I'm happy to rely on the historical record. Right, and and you know I am not an expert on any particular historical field, uh, but you know I I have a little bit of background, so I can at least point myself or other people in maybe the right direction of a book to read or even a documentary to watch or whatever. So I'm, I'm happy to go back to accurately portraying the history. And I think the games, the kinds of games that we're talking about can be a great tool for doing that. Uh, And people like Liz and through her channel and the podcast and all that, and people like David through his designs are doing uh, much more work to, to toward that end than I am. I am mostly talking to a pretty dedicated hardcore full-time hobbyist war game community. Right. Uh, but even so, I mean, I think there's, there's, I don't see like a reason for panic in the, in the complexion of our war game community right now. I think it's not where we want it to be. I think we'd like to see more people. We'd like to see more diverse people. Uh, we'd like to see more women and people of color in the hobby. Uh, and I'd like to do what we need to do to make that happen. And if that means that we maybe have to highlight, uh, to uh, individuals or units or whatever that uh, we've historically have kind of ignored. I think everybody knows about the Nisei Regiment in for example, in World War II, the, the Japanese American uh, Regiment yeah. that was the most highly decorated American unit of the entire war, right? There, there's no games on them as far as I know, why not? Um, I can't think of a thing. Maybe there is one, but if there is, there's not many. So, so we can, we could be doing better, but I think we're already doing better than we were mm. say 20 years ago when we had 20 different battle of the bulge games with German soldiers and German tigers on the cover.
1: Right. Uh, same question, Liz. Where do you think we are? Uh, are we in a healthier place now? Not healthy, different place. How do you evaluate uh, the gamer cult, gamer community ability to deal with the Nazi question?
2: Oh, God. I think maybe ask me again in five years. Uh, I think that we're in a place where the people are making really important steps, right? We're talking about these things in more nuanced ways. We are having better conversations. We are seeing more um, diverse voices with a seat at the table, but not enough, just more. And then I think we are also seeing pushback to that. There's a lot of pushback in our community. Frankly, there's pushback in the United States as a whole because Mm -hmm. we live in a society where I can walk out the door and I don't know if the person I'm talking to agrees with me about who won the election. So, I mean, to me, these things are not actually separate. Um, I think that our fights about facts and what really happened are very, very much layered into how we think about facts and what's happening right now in the United States. And I see a lot of our fights about these things as... Kind of little skirmishes about who we want to be as a society and about what kinds of narratives we want to hear and accept and promote. Um, You know, the book community is also having its own issues with, you know, diversity versus publishers selling diversity to make money but not really caring versus, you know, allowing problematic authors to get the bulk of marketing because it sells. You know, I don't think that gaming is different, actually. I think that gaming is just another flashpoint in a larger cultural conversation that we're all having. Mm -hmm. And the question is, are we going to come out the other side, a more diverse and interesting, you know, community? Or are we going to fight it out so bad that there's just a crater left? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know yet. Uh, I feel good about gaming. Like, I feel like my work is generally well-received. Jason, you're doing well. David, you're making interesting games. You know, Arvill lair is doing well. Uh, the Zenobia Award did well. Like, mm-hmm. I see lots of signs, right, that gaming is moving in a direction that I personally like. Mm-hmm. But I also see the pushback. And I'm just sort of curious about whether we can keep momentum going in the direction that I want or whether um, it will there will be pushback and we'll have to tread water for a while.
1: I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a range of opinions, you know, where in a ways we're better, in a better spot. In a way, I think David is absolutely right. We're in a different spot. And, and, and you know, like the whole list question, let's see in five years. And in five years, we're going to have to see in another five years. And it just kind of uh, keeps on going. I am. I, I I agree with all that, I guess, just in the back of my mind. I see the instinct for every comment to, you know, you go 10 posts down. Someone's going to defend, you know, their right to play a Nazi in a game. And I agree with that in the abstract, but I just want people to think about what that means and what that entails when you defend a Nazi in a game, when you defend the, you know, the, the, the supermanch you know, idea or, or one of these kind of a related things like, yes, in the abstract for your comfort, you know, fine, but there's a larger ecological cost. There is a legitimization of, you know, of that behavior. There is a minimization of what the Nazis were. I mean, you ask, I mean, like to your point, David, the World War II was a long time ago. And even though it's a living memory of some people, I think there is not a lot of great education about what the Nazis really were because of this layers and layers and layers of the message that they're either, you know, kind of like mustache trolling evil people or they're kind of uh, to be laughed at. Don't know if we have maybe have forgotten the depths of evil that that right reached. And are we capable of that again? And I'm, <laughs> I I don't know. Like I, I I used to be more optimistic. I don't know. Maybe in a way, I know you're talking about. Like we've made these strides, but you know, this every stride comes with a pushback, and the strength of the pushback kind of gives me, ooh, what, what dragon am I poking here? You know, are, is progress only being made because the other side's dragon hasn't really woken? That's re- that that scares me. I know that's. A little bit negative, but I just got to be real (laughs) in terms of where I'm at. So I just wanted to say thank you very much. You, All three of you have given me so much to think about, so much more knowledge uh, about, you know, where we've come from and why we're here and where we could possibly be going. So just parting shots. Is there anything that uh, you wanted to say at the end, even whether on the topic or whether you just want to plug stuff? Uh, (laughs) I'll go with Gary first. So like, uh, is there anything, any last things that you want to leave the audience with?
3: I've pretty much said everything that I kind of came in to say, I, I think, uh, I think I'm think i going to close with, uh, you know, w- one of the reasons why I do the kind of games that I do is interest in the history, right? Whether that's World War II history or ancient Roman history or whatever. Um, so I'm happy to rely on that, and and history is a process too, right? It's not just a, a list of facts, and that's the way it happened. It it is it is evolving as say our our understanding of the World War II German military has evolved over the last particularly thirty or so years, as the historiography has drifted away from firsthand accounts by self serving German senior leadership uh, toward you know uh, post war analysis that that, that has in some cases at least had access to more information than they had at the time so so it, for me it's it is about the history it's about exploring the history at whatever level we decide to play right we decide to play you know this is such and such a World War II tactical game is set in Stalingrad, or we might decide to play this big sweeping thing that's all of World War II. There's a lot of different levels uh, that we can engage with the history in gaming, and I, I revel in that. And and I, I also kind of trying to. I'm in a position where I can be an optimist about it, right? So I can I can I can see. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do yet, but uh, in in terms of both inclusion and in terms of better representation of history in games, sure. right? We've had We've, there's a lot of blind spots and we could, I mean, we could literally have a whole episode about that, um, but it, we, there's, it, we've made a good amount of progress, but there's a lot more to do.
1: Mm-hmm. And your channel
3: it is Ardwolf Slayer over here on YouTube. If you search for A-R-D-W-U-L-F Ardwolf Slayer, uh, you will find only me. So <laughs> Lots
1: and, and lots of Gary talking there's about every single game there, passing <laughs> the table. It's a really, really, uh, cool. it's a treasure trove. Closing
3: uh, um, in on a thousand videos, actually, which active. is a horrifying and depressing number <laughs> <laughs> or a hobby. <laughs> yes, a it, it's it is literally a hobby, a, a whole separate hobby at this point, actually. Absolutely. Uh,
1: okay. Uh, David, we you have um, you you managed to weave in mentioning all of your undaunted series, so very good <laughs> on the press <laughs> for that. But you have the new title coming out. What else is coming? Uh, and I mean, you have you have tons of stuff. I remember uh, seeing at your um. Uh, on your Twitter thing, like you had two projects that were delivering like simultaneously and you were like, what do I respond to? Oh my God, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with David Thompson. Uh, so talk a little bit about what is, you know, and what's coming from you. Sure.
0: Yeah. So uh, right now, as you said, this is, this is really mind boggling in the current world of, of shipping, shipping disasters and manufacturing disasters, but two, two uh, crowdfunded projects that are shipping on time. So one is Earth Ridge, which is a game about the Battle of the Bulge. Look at that. <laughs> the world needs another one of those. Um, but then the other one is called Resist, which is actually um, about uh, the Spanish Maquis is a very um, little known topic, right? Trying to fight back to uh, liberate their country against Franco post-World War II, which is an interesting um, topic that doesn't hasn't been really explored much in the past. Uh, and then we, we've talked about um, Undaunted. Undaunted Stalingrad will come out around Spiel. Um, but uh, yeah, so thanks for letting me plug that. I don't really, you know, I the publishers will, I'll get in trouble with them, I guess, if I don't say something. But um, <laughs> but no, the main thing I want to just say is, this is a really cool conversation. You you three are some of my three favorite people in, in the gaming world. So this has been a really cool honor. Yeah. I, I do want to say, I want to leave it also in a, in a positive note, because, you know, in the last few years, we've seen like New Voices in Gaming. We've seen the Zenobia Award. And I think when those things were first announced, there was a huge amount of backlash that I saw. And I think the more I see that those things talked about, the less I'm seeing the backlash, at least from my perspective. And I think that we, when I say we, we, the gaming hobby at large, the historical gaming hobby at large, are are starting to normalize a lot of that stuff. And so I think that the people who are speaking out about it, I think they just, at some point, they're just going to, realize this is the new norm whether they like it or not and mm-hmm. um, that's really awesome and, and what's coming out of that are gaming topics that as Gary or somebody have never been explored before and so we're seeing things like the Zenobia of War be successful at exactly what it was trying to achieve right being inclusive being diverse showing off uh, topics that we've never seen before and if all you care about as a gamer is having cool games you don't care about anything else right I just want cool games then you're gonna you're gonna be the 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 winner in all of this. So. It's a
1: golden age. Like I mean, I know yeah, like, more like 2019 before all the shipping nonsense. So we're, we're kind of tapering off of that, but really, I mean, you can go back to those games. We are in a era of plenty when it comes to right. you know even if you want to play your raging white supremacist nonsense, you, that's still there. Yep, <laughs> or, and you could and, yeah. and you could play you know diverse <laughs> stuff. You could, I mean, there's a lot of different um, like you know as much as I make criticisms, we are in a golden age, and I guess I want to try to make it goldener. And so does Liz. Yeah. Liz wants to shine up that gold and make it even more golden. Uh, so okay, uh speaking of, so uh talk about a little bit of what's going on. The current season of Beyond Solitaire podcast is rolling. Uh the announcement was made that you are working on a game with David so that it has been put out in the world. Uh so you know, tell us a little about what else is going on.
2: Yeah, um, I'm actually really happy to have a season shaping up so far. The uh, episode that ran this past week was me talking with Brett Devereux, who's actually a video game aficionado. We talked about like history that you can learn from playing things like Europa Universalis and like the good and bad that comes with that. It was very yeah. interesting conversation. Um, I have several more conversations, I'm just really excited to uh, to air in a couple of weeks. Scott Nicholson's is going to be on Ooh. the OG. So I mean that that my podcast is honestly like my favorite thing that I do so if you want to see me doing my favorite thing uh you should look for the Beyond Solitaire podcast but I also do have a channel where I do playthroughs and reviews I'm actually thinking about starting to do some historical breakdown videos of games just for fun like I'll start with all my ancient stuff and just play around um so yeah as y'all could probably tell I'm really just interested in how we can tell history and historical narrative through games and I think that for all of the games are relaxing and games are my way of unwinding and like, that's good, right? That's fine. Go play. Like it's a wonderful world. I found that very relaxing. Um, (laughs) But I also think that we owe it to ourselves as people um, to enrich our lives by really engaging with what our games are telling us, especially about history. And I think that you know, yes, we're all going to come down on different positions on topics like the one we're discussing today, right? And there's probably going to be people who listen to this and feel attacked, or there'll be people who listen to this and feel vindicated, or there, you know, there's a whole range of responses you can have to a discussion about historical games. But I think the point is to have the response you're going to have and reflect on it and let games make you see yourself. When you do history, there are two narratives there is the narrative of history that the game presents, and then there's the story that you're telling yourself as you play it. Um, it is a reflective practice, and you as a gamer will find your mind and your life enriched by letting yourself get the chance to take games seriously, and um, and see what that brings up in you and in how you understand yourself in the world.
1: This all about taking games seriously. <laughs> the whole the whole project beyond solitaire and everything that we're doing, taking games a lot more seriously as just, uh, than just games. Uh, so thank you so much to my esteemed panelists. This is Jason reminding you, if you could change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast.
0: Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com onestop one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another top five list.